everybody. Welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. I've got another great show for you this week. we got all sorts of news to catch you up on, all sorts of interesting security and privacy tidbits uh, have come out in the last week or so that I'll catch you up on. Uh, and, of course, the tip of the week at the end. So uh, the summary today is uh, Google's browser now comes with a built-in ad filter. And if that sounds counterintuitive for a company like Google, it is. And I'll tell you why that's not exactly what it seems. Um, I'll tell you about how a single foreign character can crash your Mac and iPhone messaging apps and what Apple's doing about that. We'll talk about a new Microsoft Office malware delivery mechanism that doesn't use macros, and I'll tell you all about that in a second. Uh, also, a nasty Skype bug that Microsoft says it's too hard to fix. Too much work. <laughs> I'll tell you what they're going to do about that and when. Uh, and finally, we're going to talk about a new report that underscores the importance of restricting your own computer access, and I'll tell you what that means as well. All right, first up, Chrome, the browser, uh, that we all know and love, the most popular browser on the planet by a long shot, uh, and one that I personally don't recommend um, for this very reason. So Google has actually done some, as I've said many times, has done a lot of really great work in the in the realm of security. Um, they've got some really crack teams working on security stuff. They found a lot of bugs. They've helped people fix a lot of bugs, um, and they're very security focused. That's great, but that is wholly separate from being privacy focused, unfortunately. Uh, and so we all hate ads on our web pages, uh, mobile phones, computers, doesn't matter. There's so many of them. They're so annoying. You know, they pop up over, you know, over your article and you've got to get them out of your way. Or some of them even have countdown timers. And uh, some of them you go to click on something and the ad pops up in your face. Um, you know, it's just, it's awful. It's kind of like the old days when we used to have pop-up windows, you know, and we finally had to get rid of those. The browsers led the way, like Firefox and uh, some of those browsers led the way in blocking those because they were just so annoying. But all these advertisers know that we're just inured to this stuff. And we, you know, we look right past these banner ads. We're not even paying attention, but they need to get our attention because that's how they pay for these sites. So anyway, so in this in this cat and mouse game and uh, trying to, you know, get our attention while not driving us away, um, the advertisers have just been way too overzealous. And so the advertisers are realizing this because there are plugins and, uh, and even browsers out there who are giving the users the power to turn these things off because they've, they've just gone too far. And so, you know, ad blockers are, are becoming a really bad thing for the advertising and marketing industry in the web, because that's how these guys are paying for a lot of this, these websites is through advertising. And they're kind of collectively freaking out um, because users and, and, and some of these browsers that are not Chrome uh, are giving end users the ability to block these ads. And it's, it's starting to have a real effect on their pocketbook. So Google has come out with a built-in ad filtering system. They don't call it an ad blocking system. It's a filtering system. It lets some ads through, and it lets through what it calls acceptable ads. And you may recall we talked to um, Adblock Plus uh, a few weeks back and talked about the same kind of a concept. Um, and it's it's a different group, but it's the same kind of idea. And the idea being that, that these advertisers and marketers and, and tech companies like Google and Facebook have gotten together, and they've said, okay, we're losing revenue because people are hating our ads and they're hitting them so much that they're actually installing plugins into their browsers that are blocking our ads. They're not even seeing them. That's bad. We've got to do something about this. So in an effort to self-police, and because Google owns so much uh, of the advertising market and the, the browser market, uh, they're in a unique position to do this. They are building into their web browsers this filter. And this filter 
is 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 supposedly what it's the, the plan is it's going to prevent websites from showing you these really annoying ads and we talked about some of them there's the flashing animated ads everybody hates those you know trying to get your attention by movement you know we're, we're humans movement catches our eye it's an instinctual thing so you know they've got the flashing animated ads nobody likes those they've got these large what they call prestitial ads uh, and it's particularly on mobile users, it's a problem because you go to a mobile web page and the whole page is filled up by this advertisement. It pops up, blocks your page. You can't see it. You got to either wait to, to get rid of it or, you know, click some button to get rid of it. If you're lucky, the button will actually get rid of it. Sometimes they put the really nasty ones. They'll put a little Xbox or something or uh, a little, you know, box, box the corner where, you know, the, the convention is that the little box with an X and you click that, it goes away. Some of them don't even do that. Some of them actually just show you that box and they still take you to the advertisement site, which is really bad. Um, you know, auto-playing video ads, like you go to some web page and then there's an ad on that page that has nothing to do with the page you're, you're, you're going to, but it's a video ad and it starts playing. It's got sound in your work or, or whatever. And all of a sudden sound starts coming out of your computer and you're like, Oh crap. And you're trying to stop it. And everybody hates that. Um, Post-stitial ads, uh, those are the ones that pop up and they have like countdown timers. Like, so, you know, you start reading the ad and then it pops up and says, hey, you know, look at my ad for five seconds, four seconds, three seconds. And eventually you can, you can clear it once the timer stops. Uh, or they're really sticky ads. Like, you know, you're on a web page and you're trying to scroll down and no matter how much you scroll, that ad doesn't move. Um, so we've seen all these, it's all these techniques they're trying to come up with to, to keep our attention and to draw us in, to look at these ads. Um, but they're so annoying. And so, you know, the advertising industry and Google leading this has figured out that, okay, our customers hate this stuff. We need to dial it back. So the Chrome browser now has this built-in filter to th- that, that finds these ads that, that violate what it calls acceptable advertising policy. And there's this group. Um, let's see if I can find the name of the group. The, uh, where is it? Oh, yeah, the Coalition for Better Ads. Sounds nice, right? Uh, the, it's got Facebook, Microsoft, Google, and, and a lot of ad marketing companies you've probably never heard of. Uh, significantly, it doesn't have any consumer advocates on, on this group. It's all the marketers and the people that make money off of this stuff. Uh, but they don't, you know, so this group gets together and decides what's acceptable and what's not. And then Google implements the policy with its new ad filter. But it's all about they still need to show you ads and there's, and, and there's no consumer representation. There's also no digital rights groups that are represented in this. It's all about the people that are making money on this. So it's very lopsided as far as who's deciding what's good and what's bad. So Chrome now by default uh, is going to start blocking some of these ads. And at some point it, it will notify the websites that are hosting these ads and say, Hey, you got to fix this. And they'll give them like 30 days to fix it. And if they don't fix it, I don't know if they block the whole site or they do something even more drastic. Um, This all sounds good. And honestly, it is a step in the right direction, but it's missing some very key things that that you don't get when you just install a pop-up blocker, Uh, or I'm sorry, or an ad blocker, like uh, uBlock Origin is my personal favorite. Uh, AdBlock Plus, um, that's a good one too. Again, it's got some of these same kind of, you know, issues maybe with uh, conflict of interest. But uh, so anyway, uBlock Origin is usually the one I recommend. of course, the flip side of this is these sites do need to make money. So, you know, there's the ability to whitelist sites, which means you can say, okay, I, I want to support this site. I'll watch the ads from the site. Uh, the other problem, however, though, is that advertising, unfortunately, is also being used as a malware delivery mechanism. So even sites that are supposed to be good, these are they're running out this ad space like billboards. They don't, they're not usually involved directly in what ads get shown. 
uh, they just take a cut of the profit. So it's really some third party that's putting those ads up there. And if they're not policing their ads well enough, they could be posting ads that are laced with malware. So there's a lot of problems with this. It's, it's interesting that Google's trying this. Uh, it's an obvious um, nod to the fact that consumers are really upset and they don't like these things. So, you know, it, it, it's just another interesting development. Uh, I would still personally recommend that uh, you just use Firefox, uh, a non-Google browser. Uh, Safari, uh, Safari from Apple's pretty good too. Uh, and it's got some good... Um, anti-tracking uh, technology, which is something, that's the other thing, is that this, this ad filtering thing, the other thing they do not want to lose is the ability to track you. So they're, they're, they're trying to police themselves by giving you ads that you can tolerate. <laughs> and it's not just even a matter, but it's not just a matter of showing you these ads and hoping you click on them or hoping it influences your buying decisions. A lot of those advertisements are also placing all sorts of tracking stuff on you so that when you go from one website to another, uh, they can show you ads. If you went to one website, you go to Google search and you search on, you know, new cars. Well, you know, God help you because the next five websites you go to, the ads you're going to see on that page are almost surely going to be something related to cars. So they, so it's not even just about advertising. These, these ad filters do nothing to stop all the tracking that's going on behind the scenes. So while this is interesting and it's a, you know, it is a step in the right direction, they've got a long way to go. All right, next up, you probably saw this in the news. Uh, if there's any kind of, you get any kind of tech news, and it's probably bubbled up to some of the more mainstream news, is that, you know, there was a certain certain character that you could send to somebody in a, in a, in a message on an, on an Apple iPhone or an iPad or even uh, a Mac computer that would crash their app. And it's true. Uh, it turns out there's some very odd uh, character, uh, I don't know if it's Hindu or it's from the Indian, if it's from Indi Indian language, Indian character, I can't even pronounce it. Um, but let, let me read you, um, let me read you from the, from the article here from bleeping computer. It says, quote, a character in the Indian Telugu, Telugu, oh, I'm going to totally butcher that. I'm, my apologies. Uh, T E L U G U, uh, language will crash multiple applications on iOS and macOS, an Italian blogger has discovered. The character in question is, and it's, I'd have to, I, I can't pronounce it, <laughs> so I'd, you'd have to see it, but it's some uh, stylized character, uh, which, if sent to another user, will prevent that user from opening apps such as Messages, WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger, Outlook for iOS, Gmail, and Twitter. The bug is causing quite some problems for iOS and macOS users as iOS and Mac apps will always try to resume from where the user left off last time. For example, if a user has received a WhatsApp message with this character, the WhatsApp application will crash in an infinite loop until the user receives a new, different message or he uses the app's web interface to remove the message or the update coming, uh, containing the problematic character, unquote. So let's unpack that a little bit. So there's something about the way... Apple software, and that includes both iOS and macOS, which means it's iPhones, iPads, as well as Mac computers. That is, it must be built into some common, what we, we in software engineering called a library. It's a shared bit of uh, code that a lot of these apps use probably to interpret these characters and maybe render them on the screen or something like that. It's some, it's very interesting looking character. It's actually quite pretty. Um, and something about the processing this character causes the app to crash. And because of the nature of the way these Mac apps works, they try to come back up and pick up where they left off. Well, then they show that character again and they crash. And so it just keeps doing this until it gets a new message or enough new messages where that message is not on the screen or something and it doesn't try to interpret that, that character again and die. So this is bad. Um, 
more annoying than anything. It's not like malware, but it's uh, if somebody wants to prank you or or whatever and sends you this special character, they're going to cause you all sorts of grief. Hopefully you have not experienced this. Well, Apple's all over it, of course, and uh, they're going to be trying to push an update here soon. Uh, it's not available yet as of this recording, uh, but my guess is it will be uh, coming out soon. So as always, keep, uh, keep an eye out for updates, and as soon as those updates come out, jump on them and uh, update your software. Next up, we've got another Microsoft Office bug. Microsoft Office um, has a lot of bugs, but this is... You know, probably because, A, it's extremely popular, and so the bad guys are going to target anything that's very popular. Uh, and it's really, really complicated. Uh, there's unbelievable amounts of stuff packed into uh, Microsoft Office, and this is just going to show you an example of one of these things. So uh, what's often done with a lot of attachment viruses uh, with Microsoft Office is they build in – Microsoft has this coding language that they built into their documents – uh, called macros. Um, and it's very simple, but it allows a document to actively do things, which, you know, I don't know whoever thought that was a good idea, <laughs> but Microsoft thought it was a good idea, built it into these things a long time ago and enabled it by default. Uh, and probably until recently, uh, where now at least when they're supposed to do is when, when you open a document with macros, it's supposed to pop up a thing saying, Hey, this document has macros, you know, so if you want this document to do everything it's supposed to do, enable macros, otherwise say no. And you should almost always say no to that. Uh, you know, macros are just begging uh, for malware. Um, so unless you really, really, really trust who sent you that document and you know that those macros are there doing something important, if you ever open a Microsoft Office document and it says, would you like me to enable macros? Just say no. Anyway, so that that's a common thing, the, a common way the bad guys have used to infect computers. They send a document, some office document, and they lace it with this macro, and this macro does something bad. Um, but because Microsoft knows that, it's built in the protections now so that when you open that document and it, it contains macros, it warns you and gives you the option not to do it. Well, someone has come up with what they're calling a turducken attack. So if you're not familiar with the term turducken, it's, I don't know who invented it. They'll always think of um, John Madden uh, when I think of turducken, because he always explains this during the, the, the Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving football game. So turducken, turkey, duck, chicken. So I, I'm vegetarian, so. So, so this really grosses me out. But, you know, if you're into this kind of thing, it's you stuff one side the other and stuff one side the other somehow. So it's like this multi-layered bird dinner <laughs> thing called a turducken. Anyway, so they're calling this attack a turducken attack because it's all these weird layers, all this. It's amazing how many different things this thing has. It's got like four different things that it does in order to get by all these protections that are built in. Uh, so it, you get a new, you, you get a Word document as an attachment. That's normal. It's a .docx, so .docx, which is the modern, uh, the modern version of the, dot, of, of the Microsoft Word file. Uh, usually, apparently, it's called receipt.docx, like, you know, receipt for a purchase. Uh, so you get, this, you get this document called receipt.docx. Uh, you, when you open it up, some active part of this document fetches an RTF document. And if you're not familiar with RTF, it's like a fancy text document. Rich text format is what RTF stands for. So it, maybe it's an, a URL, like a web link or something in, that fetches this document. So you open a Word document. It, phase two, it fetches this RTF document, which downloads, which use another Microsoft-ism called OLE, uh, O-L-E, Object Linking and Embedding. 
Um, and then this document, for some reason, inexplicably, is automatically executed upon download. So this gets past, uh, you know, Microsoft protections. Microsoft blindly executes this code. And I'm sorry, but if, <laughs> if it's just a Word document, you should never blindly execute anything. And micro, this is just a hole they haven't plugged yet. I'm sure this will get plugged. Uh, so the you know this RTF doc that you've that you've downloaded and executed can exploits a thing in Microsoft's Equation Editor, uh, which is installed by default with Microsoft Office, and most people don't use it. But if you're you know if you're in you know some high science field, uh, these things are important. When I was in engineering, I did all sorts of these really wacky integral equations, and that's where these little this little Microsoft Equation Editor, editor comes in. It, it's you know, it's hard to render these things in some pretty way. And so that's basically a way to create these wacky equations. Well, it's built in, it's run by default. So this RTF doc runs the equation editor, and then this equation editor somehow, in turn, there's a bug in the equation editor that it, it could cause it to download yet another file, a Microsoft HTA file or a hypertext application file. And then built into that file is a Visual Basic script that installs malware. So... Now you can understand why it's called a turducken because it's, it's just layer upon layer upon layer upon layer. And it's designed to get by the, the common protections against the uh, lacing malware in documents. It's this multi-stage attack. So if, you, if you're up to date on your Microsoft stuff, this, the equation editor bug was fixed back in November. So you're, you should be just fine. Uh, but the, the takeaway from this is, A... The bad guys are really clever, and they've got nothing but time on their hands. They're coming up with all sorts of really, really complicated and clever ways, uh, interesting ways to get past uh, the protections that are built into our systems. The second takeaway is Microsoft products, um, you really got to be careful because back in the day before we were really worried about malware, they built in all sorts of fancy features that automatically run that are just ripe with, with bugs and ripe for, for picking from the bad guys, for, for finding different ways to get into your system. And of course, the, the other takeaway is that whenever you get an email with an attachment, you should not be opening that attachment unless you, you requested it specifically. You, you asked for that file and you know for sure who sent it. All right, next up, let's talk about Skype. Um, Skype, of course, is Microsoft's communication tool. You can do... Uh, text messaging. You can do video and audio calls. I actually use it a lot of times when I do my interviews. So apparently there's a really nasty bug in Skype, and this can affect both Windows and Mac, though the, the proof of concept was done on Windows. Uh, but as far as we know, it could happen to either. Uh, and ZDNet had an article on this. Let me just, yeah, let me start by reading something from that. So, so quote, security researcher Stefan Kanthak uh, sorry, Kenthak, found that the Skype update installer could be exploited with a DLL hijacking technique. I'll talk about DLLs in a second. Uh, which allows an attacker to trick an application into drawing malicious code instead of the correct library. An attacker, an attacker can download a malicious DLL into a user-accessible temporary folder and rename it to an existing DLL that can be modified by an unprivileged user, like uxtheme.dll. The bug works because the malicious DLL is found first, when the app searches for the DLL it needs, unquote. All right, so, so there's some technical terms in there. So DLL is a Microsoftism. Uh, it means dynamic linked library. So when you're writing software, uh, you can 
you write all the software yourself, or in a lot of cases, you need help from something else. And because we don't want to reinvent the wheel, uh, we find uh, little chunks of code that do one thing and do it well, and we package them up into these libraries called, uh, in this case, uh, DLL. Uh, and so when you're writing software, if you know that DLL already exists, let's say you've got a DLL that will, I don't know, record a sound or save a file or, or, or whatever. You don't have to write that yourself. You know that DLL exists and it's installed with most copies of Windows. So as a software engineer, I just count on that being there and I write my software without it, but I reference it. Um, so what this bug is basically saying is that the Skype updater, the, the part of the Skype application that looks for updates and downloads and installs them when they exist, has a bug where apparently it's doing a couple things. It's not checking the DLLs that it's trying to load, and it's uh, looking in insecure places for those DLLs potentially before looking for the default location that would be more secure. So if I wanted to be, a, if I was a bad guy and I knew that Skype was about to be updated or cause that's updating all the time, I know it's going to be updated. So uh, someone's going to launch Skype. It's going to try to update and it's going to look for a particular DLL. And if I can slip in my copy of that DLL and replace the real one, then I can get with this DLL in this particular case, I can actually get full complete, unfettered access to your computer. And at that point, it's game over. I can do whatever I want. So here's the fun part about this. Though. Let, me, let me go back to the article. It says, quote, but Microsoft, which owns the voice and video calling service, says it won't immediately fix the flaw because the bug would require too much work. Kanthak informed Microsoft of the bug in September, but the software giant said issuing a fix would require the updater to go through a, quote, large code revision, unquote. The company told him that even though engineers were able to reproduce the issue, a fix will land, quote, in a newer version of the product rather than a security update, unquote. Instead, the company said it will put all resources on building an altogether new client, unquote. Lots of nested quotes. My apologies. So basically what Microsoft is saying is the the technique that its updater uses is so hard to fix as is that you can't they can't just issue a quick fix on this one. So basically they're going to have to rewrite the entire Skype app from 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 almost from scratch. You never start from scratch. You reuse a lot of stuff. Um, but apparently whatever this mechanism is that allows them to do this is so embedded in the current version of the app that there's just no quick fix to this. So they're basically saying, we're not going to give you a quick fix, which is really bad. So if you're a Skype user, I'm not really even sure what to tell you. I'm a Skype user. Um, so I guess my plan is I think most of the times the updater will ask you before you want to update. I don't know if there's an auto update feature, which I normally tell you to turn on for just about everything. But in this case, you might want to turn off auto update and not accept updates until the next big update comes that has this fixed. I honestly don't know if Microsoft can go too much longer without fixing this because this is pretty bad. So, you know, they may still relent and eventually uh, put out a patch for this. But in the meantime, uh, okay, let me, one more thing about this to, to understand. For this to be exploited, you would have already had to have been hacked. So there is that. So you, you would have already had to have downloaded some sort of malware that, that, that is targeting this specific bug in Skype. So you would have had to download some malware. It would have to be something that's trying to exploit this bug, and it would have to have successfully put in this fake DLL. Um, and maybe maybe the antivirus software uh, that we have will start looking for things like this, and maybe it will be able to flag that. I don't know. Um, but uh, so it's 
you know, if you're if you're pretty clean already and you're not, and, and you don't think you're infected by malware already, then you know you may also be safe. But I'm just throwing it out there because that's my job is to let you let you know what these that these things do exist and that you need to be careful. So if you are a Skype user, uh, be on the lookout for an update to Skype that fixes this. Uh, in the meantime, you know, use Skype sparingly. Uh, don't I would personally I would not take updates at this point unless you have to. And you know, as always, follow good hygiene about everything else so that you don't get malware. Uh, you don't get the malware in the first place that would exploit this. All right, one more quick story before we get to our tip of the week, uh, and that is, uh, don't use Facebook's VPN service. So apparently, Facebook bought this company. What's it called? It's got a weird name. Onavo. O N A V O. Uh, back in 2013, and uh, it's a VPN service. And, uh, you know, to refresh your memory, a VPN is a virtual private network. We use VPNs when we want to protect our internet traffic in one way or another. If we're on a public Wi-Fi hotspot, that's a great time to use a VPN. In fact, you should always be using a VPN on any kind of a public network to make sure that every last bit of your internet traffic coming to and from your computer is opaque. It's not viewable by anybody else on that network. Now, if you have an HTTPS connection to something, uh, all those connections are already encrypted. That's fine. But not every app you use uh, communicates 100% with encrypted communication. So a VPN ensures that everything is encrypted. So VPNs in general are great tools. They're good to use. Uh, sometimes you also want to use it to protect your privacy. If you're if you don't trust your internet service provider anymore, and honestly, you shouldn't, because it's now completely legal for them to pay attention to absolutely everything you do and record it and sell it to somebody else. Well, that's what Facebook wants to do here too. So they're offering a VPN to protect you, but what they're really doing with that VPN is they want to see everything you do. So it's not just what your Facebook app on your phone is doing. It's not just what your Facebook app on your laptop is doing or computer is doing. Once you let use their VPN, they're kind of becoming your internet service provider. All your internet traffic will go through their VPN service. And so they can see absolutely everything you're doing. So this was from an article from Gizmodo. Let me read, uh, let me read from that article. It says, Facebook is not a privacy company. It's Big Brother on PCP. It does not want to anonymize and protect you. It wants to drain you of your privacy, sucking up every bit of personal data. You should resist the urge to let it at every turn. There's a new menu item in the Facebook app, first reported by TechCrunch on Monday, labeled Protect. Clicking it will send you to the App Store and prompt you to download a virtual private network service called Onevo. It says parenthetically here, Protect shows up in the iOS app. Gizmodo looked for, uh, looked for it on the Android device and didn't see it, though presumably it's only a matter of time. So basically... Facebook is kind of tricking you into having this new setting that says protect. Oh, that sounds good. Uh, yeah, sure. Why wouldn't I want to protect myself? That sounds great. And it sends you off to get download Onevo, which is a VPN. Also sounds good. VPNs are generally good things. But Facebook owns that VPN. Uh, so basically, once you install that VPN, sure, everything you do at that point should be protected from prying eyes, except for Facebook's, which now sees everything. You know, so all your internet traffic is now routed through them, so they get to see everything you're doing. There's an article in the Hindustan Times uh, in India, uh, and let me read a little quote from this article. It says, quote, Onevo on its privacy policy page confirms that it collects, quote, information about your mobile applications and data usage, including the applications installed on your device, your use of those applications, the websites you visit, and the amount of data you use, unquote. So basically right in the privacy policy says there's no privacy. <laughs> 
So anyway, if you see that option on Facebook, don't use it. Get your own VPN uh, and, and use that instead. Um, EncryptMe is, is a great VPN you can look at. Uh, Viper VPN is another good one. TunnelBear is a good one. There are several out there. Make sure you find one that you pay for, but don't use Facebooks because Facebook is not there to protect you. They are there to find out everything possible about you, and that's exactly what this is doing. All right, now it's time for our tip of the week, and I'll preface this with a little bit of new data. Uh, we talk about this for a while, and, uh, and I've talked about this in the book. Uh, we talk about how many different vulnerabilities there are in Microsoft software, for example. And uh, this article, which uh, references, references some research from a company called Avecto, says this. It says, the number of reported vulnerabilities in Microsoft software has mounted from 325 in 2013 to 685 last year, a rise of 111%. Moreover, there's been a 54% increase in critical Microsoft vulnerabilities since 2016. Um, that's those are, those are pretty big spikes. Part of that is just because the bad guys are just getting more active, but it's, it's, it's getting worse, not better out there. Again, from the article, it says, Avecto contends that taking away admin rights would mitigate, mitigate 80% of the critical vulnerabilities reported in 2017. The report also says that 134 out of 140 critical vulnerabilities found in Edge, which is Microsoft's web browser, last year could have been mitigated by the removal of user admin rights. All right, so what does all that mean? We, I, in my book, I talked about similar stats from years ago. Um, and basically what all these stats keep coming back to, there's been many things you could do to protect yourself. But one of the main things you could do to protect yourself, particularly on Windows, is to curtail your own access. <laughs> you can't trust yourself. Uh, and by that, I mean anything that, a vir- anything that you can do on a computer, malware can also do on that computer. Because, it, because when that software is running on the computer in your account, it is basically running with the same privileges that you have. It can do anything you can do. So what that means is you need to proactively limit what you can do in most cases. And here's how you do that. We talked about this actually last year, but it's, this is a really good tip, and we need to bring it up again. Um, and that is to create every computer should have at least two accounts on it. When you first get your computer out of the box, it comes with one account already built in. And that account is by default an administrative account. It has admin privileges, which means it can do just about anything, um, which is, you know, the way you want it. If you bought this computer, if I want to install software or change settings, then I should be able to do that. That's my computer. But and when you first buy it, you know, you're going to want to install a bunch of software and you're going to want to change those settings and get it all set up the way you want it. And for that, you really want to be in an admin account because otherwise it's too much of a pain in the butt. But once you get that kind of computer basically configured in the way you want it, you need to create a second account. And that second account should be a non-admin account. And that's the account you should be using on a daily basis, not the admin account. And what that basically means is, um, so you've got this admin account that we call the God account or the root account. It can do it. It can do anything. Uh, And then the regular non-admin account that you use on a daily basis. And so, you know, if you were to accidentally download some malware or something, if that malware tried to do something that had more than non-admin privileges, it would not be able to do that on your account because your account is a non-admin account. So having the two accounts means that if you, you know, in the future, when you do want to install some new software, perhaps, and not all software requires this, but um, if you want to install some new software, make some very low-level configuration changes and some important stuff like maybe setting up antivirus software or something that is uh, security-oriented, you will have to enter the admin account credentials. It'll pop up a window saying, hey, you, you, you can't make these changes. You don't have the privileges to make these changes. So give me... Uh, give me the login credentials for the admin account before we before I can do this. So 
that 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 same protection that is protecting you from doing something potentially with heavy impacts on your system also prevents malware from doing anything really bad that requires that would affect the entire computer. So worst case, uh, it, maybe it'll screw up the one account. Uh, and then and then to fix that, you should just be able to wipe that account, create it again, and start over from that one account without having to wipe the entire computer and any other accounts on that computer. So it kind of compartmentalizes things. It's a need-to-know basis. It's, it, it keeps... It keeps the malware kind of at bay by by hobbling it and not giving it full permissions. If you just run that, if you were to run malware in your regular account, the account that came with the computer that's a full admin account, then that malware can do pretty much anything at once. If it gets running on your computer, there's nothing to stop it. So anyway, so here's what I recommend. Uh, first of all, if, if you know if you only have that one one account on your computer, then it's an admin account. So you need to uh, create a second account. Uh, make and set up a second account and make that your daily everyday use account. So you might have to transfer some files. Um, if if it's one of the things you can do actually is create a second account, make that account that account an admin account, and then come back to your first account uh, while you're logged in as admin, and then downgrade the privileges of your original account. And that way you kind of have everything you had before. Uh, everything's configured the same. All your applications there. All your files are there. Uh, so in that case, it might be easier to actually create a second account, a second admin account, uh, and then log into the admin account and then change and downgrade your original account to a non-admin account. Uh, I know this sounds confusing. I'm actually going to uh, – I've got a blog article on this that, um, that I'll, that I'll uh, point you to from the, sh- the show notes. You can just go to my website, Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. You'll find it there too. Uh, that'll walk you through some of this and send you some links. Uh, of course, this is also covered in my book because this is one of the big tips in the book. Um, but let me go on with some other great ideas that are kind of around this. So uh, first of all, having the two accounts is, is, is a really good idea. It will, especially on Windows, uh, help protect you from a lot of critical vulnerabilities. A lot of those critical vulnerabilities won't be able to get off the ground if they don't have admin privileges. Um, but there's some other really good reasons to have other accounts on your computer. Um, first of all, just for privacy's sake and for customization's sake, every every person in your household that is going to use that computer should have their own account. They can make their own desktop background whatever color they want. They can set their font sizes and all sorts of preferences. They can have their own private files. Um, so from a privacy standpoint and, a, you know, for your kids, have them be able to express themselves uh, or your wife or whatever, uh, your spouse. Um, it's it's good that everybody in your household has their own account. And of course, every one of those accounts should be a non-admin account. There should be one admin account, at least. I guess you can make more than one if you wanted to for some reason. But there should be one admin account and all the rest of them should be non-admin. Uh, but everybody having their own account means that everybody has a custom setup. And that's that's nice. Also, when you do that, if you've got young kids, you can set up parental controls on their accounts. Uh, that's important as well. And they'll need to have separate accounts for that. Uh, so you could do that with the, for having separate accounts. It's also good to have a guest account. So if you have a lot of people that come and stay at your house and say, oh, I want to check my mail or I want to surf the web or do whatever, you know, I want to borrow a computer for a little bit, have a guest account just set up for them. Um, and you can lock that one down quite a bit if uh, depending on how much you trust your guests. Uh, you could make that a parental controlled account as well, for example, and make sure that they can't get to certain websites or do certain things like install apps or things. Even for that guest account, they could lock it down. So that's another reason to have another account. But there's even more. If you really want to be uptight about how you lock down and, and compartmentalize all your data and you're worried about malware maybe getting into like your old tax files or uh, legal documents or other documents you might have in your computer, if you want to keep that stuff separate, you could create like a... Um, you know, I don't know what you want to call it, a private account or a, um, 
a special account where you do your financial stuff. So, you know, if you you log in, you log out of your day-to-day account if you want to go check your banking balance or pay bills online or do your file your taxes online uh, or access some of your legal documents if, you know, you could have a separate account for that and you could log into that account. So that way you're really careful in that account. Uh, it, it limits the amount of opportunities that you might get malware on that account that would have access to those very, um, very private, very important files. Uh, you could also have a presentation account if you've got a laptop that you use at work. Uh, and, you know, and sometimes when you go in to give that big presentation and all of a sudden you're getting pop-ups from your from your kids or your wife or from some, you know, kind of some other coworker, and these pop-ups are coming up on your screen while you're trying to do a presentation. They could be embarrassing. Um, the fact that they're happening at all or maybe even the content of them, right? Um, you know, or maybe your default background for your, your work laptop is a picture of you and your wife or you and your kids or something, and you want something a little more professional. Well, create a separate account on your computer for that. And that becomes your presentation account. And it's got a really professional, you know, maybe your company logo is what you use for the backdrop. You don't have any extra weird apps, you know, hanging around on that account that, you know, you don't want anybody else to see, you know, when you're logged into the presentation account, you're, you're not logged into your social media and things that might have these weird pop-ups you want to see. So you can kind of segregate that so that you know that that account is strictly for presentations uh, and you're not going to get anything weird uh, popping up on your screen during a presentation. And finally, um, you might look at having a gaming account. If you're really into gaming, then, you know, maybe you want to have a streamlined account that is, you know, all set up for performance. Nothing, no weird services are running in the background that it might be, you know, soaking up your computer uh, in the background. Uh, it's hardcore for gaming. If you have special settings you always want to set up when you do gaming, then you can have a special account where those are set up and you just allow, all you have to do is log in. You don't have to like keep toggling those things back and forth, depending on whether you're in gaming mode or not. So there's all sorts of great reasons to have multiple accounts on your computer, even multiple accounts just for you. Uh, But bare minimum, uh, in this case, for our tip of the week, you should have a non-admin account and an admin account. Um, uh, Again, you can go to my website, Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. You can check out my latest blog article. I'll give you some more tips on that and show you how to do that. Uh, Or you go by the book, uh, Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. That is covered in that book as one of the major tips. All right, and that's going to wrap up another episode of Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. We had a lot of stuff to cover this week. Thanks for hanging in there with me. It's all really good info, though. And uh, hopefully you'll take that tip of the week to heart. Uh, Next week, we've got a really cool interview coming up with Patrick Wardle. He's an ex-NSA hacker. Uh, We have a really interesting discussion on computer security, so I'd uh, highly recommend you check that one out next week. And uh, until then, as always, don't get caught with your drawbridge down. (laughs) 